Welcome to another episode of Bereans Podcast. Each week we share a message from the Bible and examine it to understand and learn to apply it to our lives. The hope is that through the wisdom of the scriptures, we will all be encouraged to make real life change and that the power of the gospel will transform our lives. Thanks for listening and enjoy this episode of the Berean Podcast that starts right now. Good morning, church family. Glad that you're here. My name is Devin. I'm the lead pastor here at Brian. It's an honor, as always, to be here with you. Now, it may seem a little self-serving, but trust me on this. I just wanted to draw something to your attention. It is Pastor Appreciation Month. Now, we have a terrific staff here at Brian, and I'm so thankful for each of them, but I do want to take a moment to recognize those who have been called by God to serve in this capacity here at Berean. And I can tell you as those who, as as someone who is in the trenches with these individuals, as you know well, it's a blessing from the Lord to have the pastors that we do here. They love you. Um, They love this church. They work hard for the sake of the gospel. And I count it a privilege to lead that team and to lean on those individuals and to allow them to lean on me. And I have appreciated so much um, that brotherhood um, here. And so if you have a moment, thank one of them, bless them. And above all else, please be praying for us. Pray for your pastors. Pray for the elders here. And I would encourage you that to make a point to come out to the elder-led prayer night on Thursday evening. We want to be a church of prayer, and we're providing these spaces and this opportunity. And so it would be an an absolute delight to my heart for you to step out in faith. Maybe it seems a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe you don't feel quite qualified to pray well in front of other people. Listen, don't listen to that. Come on out. Pray with us as we pray for his kingdom to come. We know that we need prayer. We know that our world needs prayer. I mean, you don't need a political science degree or to be a major in in geopolitics to know that our world is struggling. I mean, this is the legacy of human history, if you're familiar with history at all. But we're acutely aware of our own space and time. And we read the news right now. We look around at our society and we recognize that things are not how they should be. We are so utterly divided on all manner of 
political discussions about borders, nations, disputed territories, so-called settlements, sovereignty. We have strong opinions about our various governors, senators, presidents, or if you're Canadian, prime ministers. And to be honest, most of us feel somewhat surprised that out of 8 billion people in the world, this is who we end up with. We feel this sense of disappointment oftentimes in our leaders. And the reason for that is because no human leader is fully capable. No one is sufficient. We pray for good and godly leaders and we're thankful for when we have them. But there is no governor, senator, president, or prime minister who is enough. You see, and rather than being pessimistic about our situation, rather than giving into hopelessness or despair, we come again to Scripture and we're reminded that the Bible is unflinchingly realistic, very aware of the human conundrum. But while the Bible is unflinchingly realistic, it is never pessimistic. This is important. You see, because when you read the pages of Scripture, when you glance at it in its totality and you're aware of of how it begins in Genesis and how it ends in Revelation, you will see the good news that brings hope that what no human ruler, leader, or king could ever accomplish, Jesus accomplishes. That there is a king, and this king brings about a kingdom. And this king, and the kingdom that he brings, is everything we've been hoping for. And so today, I want to talk about this concept called the kingdom of God. You see, the kingdom of God is misunderstood and has been misunderstood throughout history in various ways by Christians, various ways by those who claim the name of Christian. Perhaps you're familiar with some of the the, the darker periods in, in, in human history where those who claimed the name of Christ went out to bring about the kingdom of God through violence, to conquer people in the name of of the cross. Is think that they're bringing about the kingdom of God in some way. Or in progressive Christianity, the kingdom of God now refers to basically <clears throat> any time that you're being really, really nice. So people will talk about the kingdom of God, but it's only in a very shallow sense. And they're thinking the kingdom of God means to be nice and really, really kind and never offend anyone. And the kingdom of God that we see in progressive Christianity has nothing to do with Jesus, has nothing to do with his crucifixion or his resurrection. So what is the kingdom of God? This is absolutely central to Jesus' teaching and his ministry. This is the dominant theme of his preaching and his teaching. In fact, as you read the Gospels, you begin to learn that every miracle that Jesus performs is a glimpse about the nature of the coming kingdom. Jesus, the king, brings about the kingdom. 
And you want to know what it looks like? Look at his life on earth. Look at his ministry. Where the lepers are cleansed. Where the lame walk. Where those who are unloved are welcomed as sons and daughters. Where the sick are healed, where the dead are raised, where water is turned into wine, where there is joy, where there is feasting, where there is celebration. All of this, they are glimpses of the coming kingdom. This permeates, saturates the pages of the Gospels. And it's a significant theme before Jesus came, and it's a significant theme in the writings that follow. The kingdom of God. But how you understand the kingdom of God directly impacts your response to Jesus. So in light of that, I want to take some time today and explore this. What is the kingdom of God and why does it matter to you and I today? If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, if you have your journals, open them up to Mark chapter 1. If you're able, I'm going to invite you to stand. Now, I know that I promised it was going to be 60 Sundays, and we're already up to 61, because I, I cut last week's passage into two different sections. But this text today that we're going to be looking at is Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. This church is the word of the Lord. Listen as I read. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to him. You can be seated. Jesus begins his ministry. The first recorded words that we have here in the gospel of Mark are about the coming kingdom of God. In total, the kingdom of God is referred to 103 times, referenced kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven in the Gospels. It's not used by John. He prefers other terms of eternal life and, and so forth. But this is a significant theme in the life and ministry of Jesus. So think through the timing and the, the timeline here of these few verses. It says, after John was arrested... John, remember, was Jesus' cousin. And he is a prophetic Old Testament type character who comes to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. He steps onto the scene as the last Old Testament prophet. He looks like, sounds like, preaches like an Old Testament prophet. And he comes and he prepares God's people. And he says, get ready. Because the king is coming. And then John is arrested. John goes from being powerful, famous, and followed to being forgotten. 
Now, he is not forgotten by God, no, but his time at the front of the scene, his time directing traffic of being a significant player has passed. And he is now imprisoned, awaiting his eventual execution. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. This is such a a God-type thing to do. The prophet has come and said, get ready. God is coming. The Messiah is coming. Are you ready for this? And so the Messiah comes and he steps into the scene. And where does he go? To Galilee? If it were me, I'd go to Rome. The seat of authority. Of imperial prestige and power. The place of influence. The place of commerce. The place of learning. And where does the Messiah go to begin his ministry? Galilee. More than likely, this is occurring a few months after his baptism and then temptation in the wilderness. Jesus appears on the scene. He is baptized in the Jordan River. He goes out into the wilderness. He is there tempted by Satan. He is there doing battle with the kingdom of Satan. And he comes back victorious. And his first message, his first words are about the kingdom of God. He is proclaiming the gospel. He is preaching and teaching. Jesus came to do many things. Central to his time on earth is his ministry in preaching and teaching. This is why I have come, he has said. His preaching and teaching are central. And so he wants his hearers then, and God by his spirit wants you to know this morning that the time is fulfilled. That the kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled, Jesus says. He has worked all of human history to this very moment. That all of those hopes and expectations, those longings and those prayers that God's people had offered up over the millennia saying, when, God, are you going to bring about your promises? When, God, are you going to trample on the head of that serpent? When, God, are we going to be your people and dwell with you fully and completely? When? When will we finally have a king who can rule us in justice, but also with love? When? And Jesus appears on the scene and he says, the time, the time is fulfilled. That time has come. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. This raises for us, as I would think, a number of questions that we need to clarify if we're going to understand Jesus' teaching and then his subsequent ministry throughout the pages of the Gospel of Mark. And if you'll allow me to put words in your mouth and to ask questions on your behalf, I think there are three questions that this naturally raises. Here's the first. The kingdom of God... What is it? 
what is the kingdom of God? This is central to Jesus' ministry. And so it's important that we understand it well. You see, in Jesus' day and age, there was a misunderstanding about the nature of the kingdom. Israel had been promised much in the Old Testament. And they looked around at their current situation and they were saying, this can't be what you had envisioned, God. When is the Messiah going to come? When is he going to conquer the Romans? When is he going to set us free? Israel was called to be the people of God. And now they were in a situation where Rome was, was ruling over them, was dictating their, their practices and their faith. Some people fought against Rome. Some people capitulated to Rome. Everybody knew this wasn't what, how it was supposed to be. But when Jesus comes on the scene and in his ministry and through his death and his resurrection, we see something important, that the nature of the kingdom of God is far greater than our limited human imagination could ever conceive. And Jesus comes and he says, listen, I'm not here to merely overthrow the Romans. I'm here to overthrow your true enemies of death, of hell, and of sin. Israel had been self-governing in the past in the Old Testament. You can read about it. They didn't fare particularly well, even in those seasons. So God has something here much greater than just a nationalistic approach. So let me start broadly. <coughs> Excuse me. I offer you this short and incomplete definition. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God refers to Christ's rule and reign through his people in his place. Let me read that again a second time, even quicker for you note takers. The kingdom of God refers to Christ's rule and reign through his people in his place. Every kingdom has a few things in common, most important of which is a ruler, is a leader, and is a king. <coughs> a ruler, a people, and a place. From the beginning of the Bible until the end, this is God's intent. Let's talk through those one by one. Let's start with this, a ruler. Every kingdom needs a ruler, right? Every kingdom needs a king. Well, what do we see in the beginning pages of Scripture? In Genesis 1 and 2, God creates, what? Man and woman. And in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, God gives Adam dominion, the authority and the right to rule over his creation, kind of as an under-shepherd or a vice-regent. But what happens? Man and woman disobey. They forfeit their right to rule. 
And so sin is introduced, and everything begins to crumble from there. In the Old Testament, God gathered a people named Israel, and then he allowed them to have kings to rule over them. And these kings were called to lead them in righteousness. But what do we see in the pages of Scripture? They fall and they falter. They fail and give in to fear. They just can't do it. Even Israel's greatest kings struggled. If only. If only there would come a king who would rule God's people in righteousness and in justice. If only there would come a king who would rule over God's people in righteousness and justice, yes, but let's be honest, also with compassion and love. If only there would be a king who would, who would rule over God's people If only. <clears throat> and then we turn to the pages of the New Testament, and what do we see? What we require, God supplies. So Jesus himself enters the scene. What we could never do on our own, what we constantly fail at doing, what we have no hope of accomplishing, God himself enters into human history to be that righteous and compassionate king. This is the story of the New Testament. Jesus Christ is king. What we could never do on our own, what we could never disrupt the legacy of human failure, God rolled up his sleeves and said, you can't do it, so let me do it for you. Every kingdom needs a king. Jesus Christ is that king. Every kingdom needs a, a king, a ruler, but it also needs what? It needs a people, right? You can declare yourself a sovereign citizen and say that you're the king of your own little house, but if nobody's following you, you don't have much of a kingdom, right? Well, what do we see in the beginning pages of Scripture? We see all humanity is under the perfect rule of the perfect king. Granted, it was only two people, Adam and Eve, but they live in perfect harmony. They, they're able to walk with their king through the cool of the day. But sin is introduced and everything falls apart. And so God gathers a people to himself in the Old Testament called Israel and he covenants with them and he gives them his laws and his statutes. But they fail and they falter. And there's this tension there in the Old Testament, even in their worship, because they come to God as sinful beings, but God himself is glorious and holy and perfect. And so there's this pull to be in relationship with him, but there's this right fear of being in relationship with him. He is a consuming fire. How can a perfect God and a sinful people be in relationship to each other? The only people fit to be ruled by a perfect king are a perfect people. So what hope is there for you and I? But praise God, what we require, 
he supplies. And so yet again, God rolls up his sleeves and says, what you can't do, I'll do for you. Jesus Christ is not only our perfect king, but he is the one perfectly obedient human who ever lived. And in his life, he chose perfect obedience every step of the way. And that means that when he goes to the cross, he's not paying for his own sin. He can pay for our sin and there, by his blood, purify a people for himself. Do you see the scandal of of what biblical Christianity, what the gospel actually is? Everything that we need for salvation, Jesus has accomplished for us. He's the righteous king who has come to be our Lord. He is the one who purifies an imperfect people, who makes us able to be in relationship with him. He is our king, and he is the one who purifies a people for himself. A perfect king, a purified people. But we also need a place. The kingdom of God requires a place. Well, what do we see in the opening pages of the Bible? In Genesis 1 and 2, God has his place. It's called the Garden of Eden, and it's perfect. There is no sin. There is no death. Perfection. But sin is introduced, and everything goes wrong. And man and woman are removed from the presence of God. They don't have access to him like they did in the Garden of Eden. And throughout the Old Testament, God meets people in specific places. He creates this tabernacle and temple system where people can be in relationship with him. And and once a year, they can pull that curtain apart and the high priest can go through into the Holy of Holies and offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people. But that place is holy. And Israel has promised Canaan. They are disobedient. They are sent off into exile. They return. And it's just not right. Rome is now the conquering nation. When will there be a people gathered in a place ruled by their perfect king? Well, Jesus teaches. And he begins to teach some interesting things how This place called the kingdom of God is open and accessible to strangers and aliens and those who just generally we wouldn't invite to dinner. And the gospel begins to go forward. The message of Jesus' death and his resurrection, the gospel goes forward. And in Colossians chapter 1, Paul says the gospel is going out into the whole world and bearing fruit. And here we are 2,000 years later as a result of the preaching of the apostles and the empowering of the Spirit. And we're here in North America worshiping and praising Jesus. But that's not all. That mustard seed is going to grow, but there's coming a day when Jesus, our King, is going to come back. And what he's going to do on that great day is remake the heavens and the earth. And then, Jesus Christ, our King and our Lord, will gain his inheritance in full. He will rule and reign over every square 
inch of creation. Do you see what all of this shows us? A kingdom involves a a king. It involves a people. It involves a place. And we long for it to be, this world to be how we know it should be. And in every step of the journey, on every page of scripture, what we learn is this. What we need is what God supplies. We long for a perfect king. And God says, okay, I'll be your perfect king. We're imperfect people, now fearful of our perfect king. And Jesus Christ comes and says, I'm going to purify you to make you able to be in relationship. We see the brokenness of the world around us. And we say, just why is it like this? And God says, don't worry, someday I'm going to recreate all things, new heavens and a new earth, free from the effects of sin. This is the hope of the kingdom of God. This is the good news of the kingdom of God, that the king did it all. So why does this matter to you then? Apart from being an interesting theological or, or, or biblical concept, why does this matter? Well, it shows us a number of things. It shows us that God gets what he wants. God didn't create man and woman, his people, rule over them as king in his place, and then say, oh my goodness, look what they did. They ate the fruit. Well, I guess I'm just going to let history play out for a few millennia, and I'll save some people along the way, and then we'll, we'll go up to heaven and we'll have a big party. No. What he wants in Genesis 1 and 2, he gets when you read the end of the book. What he desires is what he gets. This also shows us, church, that God is in control. God is in control. We look at the news right now, and I know, if you're anything like me, you're thinking, oh my goodness, what does this mean? What's this going to mean for my kids? What's this going to mean for my retirement? What's this going to mean for our world? What's this going to mean for the Middle East? And what happens if this nation gets involved and this happens? And what happens if this bubbles up? And we're so utterly preoccupied with these fears. God is in control. The kingdom of God has been started in Genesis chapter 1, and it will come to fulfillment someday. God is in control. It also reminds us, as I've said, that God supplies what it is that we require. That our salvation from beginning to end is of him. Praise God for that. Now, what is the kingdom of God? Here's a second question then. The kingdom of God. Is it here or is it coming? Is it here now or is it something in the future? How how do we understand that? Well, I would answer that question with this. Yes. Jesus here says it is at hand. There's other instances in the Gospels where Jesus links his actual performing of a miracle in a moment to the coming of the kingdom. So is it here or now? I would say yes. Think of it this way. Imagine you have somebody important coming for dinner. And you're standing there at the window, trying not to look too desperate. But you know the sight lines. They can't see you. So you're staring out the window, being like, I think that's them. Is that them? I see some, I see some lights. And then you see the lights coming. You know the make and model of a car. And they're coming over for dinner. They pull up into the road. They, they, they come up into the driveway. And you see the car go into park. What do you yell? They're here. Right? They're here. 
Stop fighting. Pretend we're a functional family who likes each other, right? And you open the door and you say, welcome. They're getting out of the car. They're walking up the walkway. It's so good to see you. How was your trip? Did you use Google or did you use Apple Maps? Because sometimes one of them can lead you astray, right? You see that they have flowers in their hand or they've brought some kind of housewarming or the salad that you asked them to bring. Like, they're here. They're at hand. Now, are they fully in your house sitting down at the table? No, not yet, obviously. But they're here. In the same way, the kingdom of God is now. Jesus Christ rules and reigns now. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Psalm 103 verse 19. If you are a Christian and for some reason theologically you don't think that Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning right now, let me ask you this. If he's not then who is? Who is guiding all of this? Who's making sure his purposes are going to come about? Jesus Christ is king and he is ruling now. But we know that it's going to get a lot better, don't we? We know there's still a coming aspect of that kingdom. Theologians refer to it as the already but not yet of the kingdom. It is already here, but it is not yet fully realized or experienced. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul's talking about the resurrection. Both the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and then our subsequent resurrection in the end. He says this, Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. After destroying every rule and every authority and every power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Revelation 11, a picture of the end. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The kingdom of God, is it here or is it coming? Yes. It is already here, but it is not yet fully realized. And we look forward to that day. That's why we pray, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's my third question. The kingdom of God, what do I or you or say we need to do in response? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Then Jesus goes on to say this, repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. Very simply, this is an invitation to bow your knee to the rightful king. This is an invitation to declare your allegiance to the king. To lay down your arms and trust the one true king. To repent means to turn away from. But that always involves a turning towards something else. It is a turning away from my own 
opinions, views, and perspectives in turning towards what God has to say on the issue. Instead of trusting in my religious performance, in my church attendance, in a baptism that meant nothing to me years ago, instead of trusting in you know, how involved I am in the church or how much I follow Islam or, or, or Orthodox Judaism, instead of trusting in that, I am turning away from that. And I'm turning to the one true king. Repentance means to turn. And to believe means, well, it means so much more than what we typically think of in English. It means to truly trust and have faith. And let me ask you this. Do you believe in Bigfoot? Well, what do you, well, we can debate later. We'll talk. But do you see what I mean? Like that, that question, how that's framed. Do I believe in Bigfoot? I don't know. Um, Do I think there's a creature out there? You can have that debate. But I'm clearly not saying, do you believe in him? As in, would you trust him with your life? Do you believe Bigfoot is is an upstanding, honorable creature? Do Do you trust in him? No, in the Bible, to believe when it comes to faith means much more than just intellectual assent. I may believe that this podium brought out by my brother Grant this morning may hold my iPad, and my Bible. But if I refuse to actually set them down and insist on walking around like this, is it true that I believe? No, you would say you don't really believe. To believe means to trust. So here's the invitation in the gospel. Here's the invitation in the kingdom of God. Repent. Stop looking to all these other fake kings and sources of identity. Turn away from that and turn towards the rightful king. Believe, have faith, trust in this king. I mean, we have people up here every week after the service who would love to walk with you through salvation, what that actually means, what God has done for you in Christ, how you can know for sure that you are in relationship with him, that you have a home in heaven someday, that your sins are forgiven. And it's all based on Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection. If you will repent and believe in him. Now, let me stop right here. Because maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, Devin, I don't know. I don't know if I trust him. I mean, Jesus Christ will change you. And he will ask things of you. He likes to pop the hood and tinker. You will not be comfortable following Christ. Because he has much greater purposes for you. And he will ask you to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. He will give you the power and the strength and the desire. He will do that, praise God. But it's a battle. It's inconvenient to love people and to serve them. How do I know, Devin, that it's worth it? How do I know that I can trust him? How do I know that I can relinquish control of my own little kingdom and fully trust him as king? Here's how you know. You can trust a king who would shed his own blood to save you. You can trust a king who would overcome all obstacles to make you his own. You can trust a king like that. 
without a doubt. So repent and believe. Your king is wise and just and gracious. Bow the knee to him and follow him. But maybe you're here and you're a Christian. And you would say, yeah, this is all interesting, Devin. I'm a, I guess I'm a member of the kingdom of God. Great. Let me ask you this. Are you an ambassador and a citizen? Think about your life. Are you, think about your marriage. Let's say you're married, right? Think about your marriage. Is the tone of your marriage, is the trust of your marriage, is the intimacy of your marriage, is the gentleness in your conversations, does all of that look like the kingdom of God? Does it feel like the kingdom of God? Does it sound like the kingdom of God? Look at Jesus' miracles. He brought life from death. He brought hope out of hopelessness. Does your marital relationship model the same? Think about this, your parenting. Does your parenting model the kingdom of God? Does it look like, feel like, sound like the kingdom? Or do your kids walk around on eggshells because you can't control yourself? Think about your friendships. Are your friendships designed around getting out of other people what you want? Or is it about pouring yourself out in love and in service? Take some time this week in the quiet moments and the busyness and the hecticness in all facets of the, of the human experience as a follower of Christ and ask yourself, does this look like, sound like, feel like the kingdom of God? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. But not yet fully realized. We look forward to that day. But until that day, we live as ambassadors of that kingdom. Who just like Jesus, go out and with our words and with our life, declare, repent and believe. The kingdom of God is at hand. Let me pray. Father, we love you and we worship you. I thank you, Jesus, from the bottom of my heart that you supply what we need. We were never fit to rule ourselves, but you are a good and faithful king. We could never purify ourselves, but you came and purified us, Jesus. And we look forward to the day when every square inch of the new creation is filled with the glory of God. For those who are here who have not yet repented and believed, give them the strength to do it today, to go and talk to somebody, to confess and to call out for salvation. And God, for those of us who claim that we are Christians, who have been saved, who have been born again, who have this new life in you as citizens of the kingdom, may we live like it. And may our words, our thoughts, our actions, and our heart be little glimpses of the coming kingdom. For we ask this in your great name. Amen. And that does it for this episode of the Berean Podcast. All of our ministries at Berean are geared towards the mission of seeing lives transformed by the power of the gospel. If you would like to be connected with our church family, 
or give to the mission of Berean, just jump online to our website at bereanmn.com. Thanks for listening today, and we pray that you are encouraged by today's episode. Be sure to like us on social media, and we'll see you here next time on the Berean Podcast.